This is Galatians 5, NIV version. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who has thrown you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. Looks like... Uh, you all survived last night. I think a few people did not. So, At my age, um, New Year's Eve is not a big event too much anymore. I was so tired, I fell asleep at 8 o'clock. <laughs> so, so my wife said I was kind of a fuddy-duddy, but that's okay. I knew I had to preach this morning, so he didn't want me to be all red-eyed and uh, blurried. So was important for me to get my rest. Before I, I begin this morning's message, why don't I prepare us with uh, a word of prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for um, being with us this morning, and I ask that you just bless all that have come. Uh, this is a special time, a time that is divinely appointed. So I ask that you help each one of us to be able to see, hear, feel, and know what you want us to, to experience. For you are a God that is good, so may our time here be good. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. No, Christmas and New Year's is one of my favorite times of the year. Because I, I like it because it's just so festive. I mean, it's just a great time where there's a lot of food, a lot of celebrations, 
a lot of reunions with friends and family. So it's a very, uh, very good time for me. And, and during this time of year, there's all these television shows or movies that are played over and over again year after year, right? And one of those movies is, it, it's called It's a Wonderful Life. And it stars Jimmy Stewart. And it's a really old movie. And, and he plays a character called uh, uh, George Bailey. And George Bailey is a man who all of his life loved to help others, even to the point of sacrificially giving up his own dreams. And so in this movie, George goes through life and he helps others in, in many ways, both family, friends, and, and his community. But there's always a breaking point to all the helping that one can, can do. And he, he has this crisis where in a moment of desperation, he feels he needs to give up his life because uh, he has a life policy, a life insurance policy that's worth a lot of money. And if he died, he could cash in on it so that he could save uh, his family's business, which is going bankrupt. And, and, and at this moment, there's an intervention. God sends an angel to George to stop him from killing himself and to remind him that his life is valuable, that it's worth a lot. Because it would be tragic, because George at this point, willing, willing to die so that he could, others could collect on that money, was saying that he wished he was never born. And here the angel was reminding him that he has a precious gift that God has given to him, and that's his life. And his life is precious because if he had never been born, he would never have been able to help all the people that he had in his life. And that would be also tragic. And so through this intervention, George Bailey realizes that he does have a wonderful life, a life that is full of goodness, but also full of, of, of suffering and pain. But that's the human condition, right? There is the good and the bad, and we can't exclude one or the other. Both are parts of the things that God has given to us to experience. Now, this new year, when we uh, begin a new year, it's often a time of reflection, right? To, to look back and to look forward. And as George Bailey was realizing that his life was a wonderful one, my question to all of you this morning, as you reflect on the past and looking into the future, do you see your life as being a wonderful life? And if not, can we make adjustments? Can we make corrections so that we could experience the life that God wants us to? And hopefully my message this morning will be something that will be helpful for you to do that. Well, you know, God truly wants us all to have a wonderful life. So trust me, believe in that, that God wants you to have a wonderful life. It's a life that would be full of fulfillment and fruitfulness. And that kind of life can only come when we have freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ means a wonderful life. And many of us, me included, often try to live our lives on our own, on our own power, on our own resources. But unfortunately, when we try to do that, we'll fail. And we'll fail miserably. And without Jesus' help, we won't be able to have that kind of freedom that God intends for us all to have. And for that reason, Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth 
to, to save us. And he went to the cross to make us free. In John 3.16, a lot of us are familiar with that verse, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that for whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's something that I've said over and over again many times at many of the memorial services and funerals that I've officiated. In this past year, I've done many of them. But that's one I often have to say to whether you're a believer or not a believer, that our time on here is very limited, that no one is exempt from the, the scourge of death. And, and if you ask a lot of people, that is their main fear in life, that they are afraid to die. But when we are in Jesus Christ, when we have a relationship with him, that verse is a promise that we have nothing to fear, even death itself. So God frees us. Uh, according to John 3.16, who did God free? The word said there is the world. And that's pretty inclusive. It means everyone. It means every person in, this, in, in the world can be free and they can be saved. It's no matter what race, no matter what gender, no matter what economic status or, or sexual orientation, all are welcome to receive the grace and, and glory of God. And how are we to be free? And those verses in John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him, and him being Jesus. It's very simple. There is no acts or deeds. There are nothing that we can do to achieve this. It's something that's freely given, and all you have to do is believe. And it comes through believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to save us by going to the cross and dying for all of our sins. So if we are to have freedom in Christ and have a wonderful life, we need to remember two things. And this is probably my big idea for the, today, two things to remember. It's something that's good to remember at the beginning of the year. And it's kind of a forecasting of where we want to go as a church. This being January 1st, 2017, there are two things that we would like you all to, to, to remember. It's one, to keep in step. To keep in step with the gospel and then keeping in step with the spirit. Keeping in step with the gospel and keeping in step with the spirit is the kind of the mantra, our call for this year. And you'll be seeing a lot of these things uh, unwrapping in, in our sermon series and a lot of the activities we'll be doing this year. It's keeping in step. As a church, we're going to start the year by going into the book of Galatians. And, and in your programs, I believe there's this little little flyer here and gives a listing of the topics that we're going to go through for the first part of the year. And a lot of it, it will be based out of Galatians, but we're also going to have a lot of missionaries um, that we support, that we partner with, and they're going to come and share their messages with us uh, during the new year. So the mantra, as I said, for this new year will be keeping in step. And we'll be keeping in step with the gospel and keeping in step with the spirit. This morning, we're going to start with Galatians 5. It's kind of odd how we structured this, this sermon series, and maybe because you're fortunate and you showed up on January 1st, that we're going to like start at the end of Galatians as opposed to starting in the beginning. Because a lot of times, I don't know if you're like me, when you're looking at reading a book, especially a good novel, sometimes I like to cheat 
and go to the back end and find how the story ends before I figure out, well, is this worth it for me to read? And so for our sermon series on Galatians, we're kind of going to the end. And because that Galatians 5 is actually kind of a culmination of Galatians. And you kind of get the whole point of Galatians right there. So being here on January 1st, you get to hear from me what is most important and uh, what Galatians 5. And then the subsequent weeks, Pastor Andrew gets to kind of fill in the gaps uh, to the specifics. But being here, you kind of get an upfront um, answer to, to what is important in Galatians 5. Now, a little bit of background to Galatians. Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to the churches in the Galatian churches. And he's talking about a particular problem that was starting to occur in the, the uh, young church, the early church. A lot of the first converts to Christianity were Jewish. So they were Jewish Christians. And, and they had come from an old way of, of religion to a new kind of faith. And they were struggling in their new identity as Christians. They had uh, this, this uh, habit of still living in old ways, of living by the law, the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments in, in particular. And, and they were um, faithful. And looking at the new religion, uh, the new faith in Christianity, Jesus kind of eliminated that kind of life, that there was now a new covenant that you didn't have to live by the law, but live under grace and, and mercy that came through Jesus Christ. But this, this portion, of, there was a portion, a radical portion in the Galatian church that were known as Judaizers. They were Jewish Christians, and they were still holding to living by the law. And they were saying that new converts to Christianity would have to become Jewish first. So they were struggling with Gentiles who were non-Jews. How could they become the people of God without becoming Jewish? So they would try to apply Jewish law to the new converts. And they were teaching that, that even the Gentiles would be, have to be uh, circum circumcised, that they would have to have, undergo circumcision. Because for the Jewish people, circumcision was kind of a, a sign of being part of God's people and this was a big thing with them but Paul had to stop that he said this is wrong this is not what what uh, God intends now there's a new covenant that that ignores circumcision so that's that's kind of a backdrop as to why uh, Paul had to write this to the early church about this issue of the Jewish Christians wanting the Gentiles to become Jewish so, in the first half of Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15, Paul is reminding the church of the true gospel and not to distort it, not to embellish it, not to add to it, not to add that there is more than just through faith, through Jesus Christ, that you can become a believer, and they were adding, wanting to add circumcision. So, Paul was saying, no, you can't, you can't add on to the gospel. There is only one true gospel. So in the freedom in Christ, when we have freedom in Christ, it means we keep in step with the gospel, the true gospel. Verse 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That when we live by a law, by a set of rules, we're essentially in bondage. And Jesus came to free us from that kind of living. Through him, we have freedom. 
And it says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That these Jewish Christians were trying to go backwards and apply the law back to, the new, to this new faith and then essentially putting themselves back into slavery. Mark my words in verse 2. It says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. According to Paul here, if you live by that way of, of living by a set of rules, going back to the old ways, Jesus will not have anything with you that you, that you distance yourself away from the love of God if you do that. And if you're going to live by one rule in a long list of rules, you're going to have to obey all of them to be right. And that's nearly impossible. Nobody's perfect. We always will fail sometimes. And to live that way would be an impossible way. You, verse 4, you are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 6 is a key verse to, that summarizes everything in that first, first six verses. Essentially, that the uh, salvation and the saving grace that we have comes freely through Jesus Christ. Nothing else. It's not a set of rules, not doing good deeds, nothing behavioral. It's just something that comes through faith. Verse 6 says that. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Nothing. And if you do value that, you are then distanced from God. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Continuing in verse 7. You were running a good race. Who, who cut you in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Essentially here, Paul is talking about the false teaching that's happening. That he says that there is someone trying to cut into you. Now, I don't know if any of you have seen um, uh, road races, marathons, cross-country running. Uh, my son ran. So I, it's, it's interesting when you watch them run, they, a lot of them elbow each other to get uh, position. And, and that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that you uh, early Christians, you faithful ones, have been running a good race. But someone has tried to elbow you to get you to stumble, to get you out of, to uh, move you out of your pace. And those are the Judaizers. And he's warning them, stay away from them. And that they're trying to cause you to stumble. And, and this yeast is speaking of those Judaizers, that if you allow just a little bit of, of discord, a little bit of false teaching, it can spread throughout the body. And, and that's how yeast does. It can multiply through dough rapidly. And Paul is warning the early church that this could happen if you begin to accept this kind of false teaching. And, and he gives a pretty strong word, and it says there in verse 12, as for those who are the agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. That's pretty uh, harsh, I think. Uh, but essentially, if you're going to do a little bit of snipping, why don't you just cut it all off? And, and that's what Paul is saying. That apparently, there was some radical um, uh, fanatic groups 
that, that had a religion where they would emasculate themselves to demonstrate their faithfulness. And Paul is telling these Judaizers, if you're going to believe in that, why don't you go to the extreme end? And, and just to help you to remind us all about what, uh, what can happen if we allow something that is good to be distorted or to be changed that becomes bad, I like to use certain um, illustrations or images because I'm more of a visual learner and, and, than, than one who, who uh, verbal or, or uh, one who reads. I, I like to see images and they're, they, they're captured in my brain. I've always learned that way. So I kind of help us do that with, with some objects here. And, and the gospel is something that is really true. And, and, and when it's in its pure form, it is good. And, it, and that's what an apple is, right? There's that saying that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. It's because it means it's supposed to be healthy for you. Uh, I looked it up. There is really no truth to that, that people eat apples. You do get to get sick just as much as anybody else. Um, but there is a study that it does seem to, if you eat an apple a day, you don't use pharmaceuticals, drugs. You don't go to the pharmacy as much as those who, who don't eat apples. So that's kind of an interesting finding. But, so it doesn't keep the doctor away, but it keeps the pharmacist away. Okay? <laughs> so so here's an here's a unadulterated apple. It's a fruit, and it's good for you. It's, it's something that, that's encouraged to eat. It's kind of funny, too. Um, uh, how many of you like McDonald's? Yeah. I do, too, but I haven't actually eaten there in a long time, which is kind of... A, an amazing thing because it's not good for me anymore to do that. But, you know, they have a Happy Meal, right? That's the child's meal, but actually a lot of adults buy it because they like that toy. But <laughs> a Happy Meal, they, they were having a lot of complaints because how could that, that be happy, right? French fries, hamburger, or cheeseburger. Um, so McDonald's added sliced apples, right? So you can get a Happy Meal to substitute the fries to get a, an apple. So it's supposed to make it healthy. So that's my little blurb there about healthiness of an apple. But this is also an apple, right? This is a candy apple. And this is an apple that's coated with a sugary, sweet um, candy. Now, this has kind of a special place in my heart because uh, back in high school, uh, I was actually uh, the president of the Chinese club. And there's a little story here. It's kind of weird. You know, we were doing that. A lot of it is, is kind of your uh, resume filling to be to, for uh, college, to, to be president of this, president of that. Now, I didn't intend to be president of, of the Chinese club. Uh, my friends, boys will be boys, uh, wanted to play kind of a prank on the rest of the, uh, the club. And so there were two very popular girls running against each other to be president. So my friends thought they could split the vote by putting my name into the hat. So I won because all the girls were split between the two, two girls, and I won because all the guys voted for me. So that's how I became president of the Chinese club. So that's a funny story. But here, you know, for fundraising, what do you think we sold? Caramel apples and candy apples. Kind of weird for a Chinese club because the Jewish club were selling bagels and, and cream cheese. But the Chinese club, we sold candy apples because this thing was a moneymaker. <laughs> uh, we sold a lot of these things. But, you know, these things are not very healthy for you. And this is my point. 
the gospel that the Judaizers were doing were putting candy all around it. So what was once good is now kind of bad. It's been distorted, and it is not good for us anymore. So what the Judaizers were trying to promote was a candy apple. And Jesus presents more of what a true apple should be. So I'm just trying to give an image here. If you remember candy apple, this is what was happening in the Galatians church. And this is not good. And Paul was trying to take us back to what an apple was supposed to be like. Freedom in Christ means we keep in step with the gospel. We keep in step with the true gospel. And as a result, when we have the true gospel in us, then we are free from legalism. And that's what was happening in the early church in Galatians 5. The Judaizers were trying to to create a legalistic system. And it wasn't one to try to include people, to tell people, yeah, if you obey these laws, you're going to be able to become a, a Christian. They were trying to exclude people. They were using a set of rules of legalism to exclude people, essentially create an elite class. And that's something that was being done in the early church. And sadly, unfortunately, we're trying to do that also in the new church, in the current church. That today, a lot of the rules that we set up for church are not meant to bring people in, but they are exclusive um, and trying to keep people from becoming Christians. And that's a danger, and that's a warning that Paul was giving to the Judaizers in the early church in Galatians 5. And something for us to also remember that we don't set up too many rules that prevent other people from trying to come into the church. And when we are free from legalism, then we'll be able to love God and others better. Because when we try to live by a set of rules, it's impossible. And sadly to say, I believe a lot of us here, me included, sometimes are thinking that we have to live by a set of, of rules. That, that the only way that we can gain God's love is by earning it, by doing deeds of service. That certain acts of behavior will gain God's love. No. That's already been given to us by what Jesus did on the cross. So nothing we can do, nothing we can say will change that. And we have to be assured by that. Because if we continue to live a life where we think we have to do things, do, 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 and, and Asians are really good at doing and being task-oriented, that we fall into the trap that we have to earn God's love, that God's a, a master and we're slaves and that, that he doesn't love us for, for who we are and just wants us to do things. If we get into that kind of, into that kind of, of uh, rat race, it, it'll destroy us. So be assured that your freedom in Christ, that the love that God has for you has already been given. And there's nothing you need to earn it other than to believe in his son Jesus. And, and when we are able to be free from that kind of legalism, not only can we love God better, but we can love others because then we don't project onto other people expectations uh, to put them to fit into a box and, and not to be able to love them unconditionally. Legalism is essentially, you know, a set of rules 
and looking for people to follow to a set of rules. That's not what Christianity is about. It's not about a set of rules. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship through Jesus Christ. And as we love others, it's about a relationship. It's relationships with others and how we love them and accept them. Verse 13 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says it right there. The purpose that we are being saved, the reason why Jesus came to save us all, went to the cross, is so that we can love God and love others. Those are the two greatest commandments, right? To love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's a reminder that Paul is telling the, the early church. We're getting caught up, having arguments, fights over was it good to be a Jew or to be a Gentile, to be a Jewish circumcised or uncircumcised Gentile. Those things were going on and Paul had to tell them that that's all nonsense. The reason... You were saved. You are here because of through Jesus Christ alone. And you're saved because you are to help and serve and love others. Not to argue about who's circumcised or uncircumcised. So the first thing is to keep in step with the gospel. And then the second thing I told you to remember is to keep in step with the spirit. And that's Galatians 5 verses 16 through 26. That's the second half of Galatians 5. Verse 16 says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the, the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Those verses kind of remind us that, that we're always uh, in a battle within ourselves. That there is a battle between the flesh and there's a battle with the spirit. Now, those of us who follow Jesus Christ, the gift that Jesus gives to us that he left behind is the Holy Spirit. So all of us who, who truly confess our faith in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us. It's a gift from him. But the Holy Spirit has a problem with our own flesh. Because as humans, we have a sin nature and that's not going to go away until we're taken away and perfected by Jesus when we die but before that when we're walking this earth we're going to be in a constant battle there's going to be conflict within all of us and and Paul's pointing that to us that this is something that we're going to have to deal with but we have the Holy Spirit to help us and so again, I, I learned visually, so the first image I gave you was a candied apple, right? That's about how something good can be, can be distorted and changed, and so it's not good anymore. So now I want to show you an, an image that will help you understand this conflict that we have in ourselves. Now, one of the things that, that, that I like to do is go fishing, and I love to catch fish. And, and a lot, one of the most common ways that we serve fish is steaming it. And we always put um, soy sauce and oil on it, right? And, and green onions, etc. But it's that combination, right, of the hot oil that we throw onto the fish that helps bring out the flavors, especially with the soy sauce and the garlic. So now it's kind of interesting with those cooking ingredients, right, that we have soy sauce and oil. 
they are two items that are in conflict with each other. And just to demonstrate that, this is, uh, this is soy sauce, right? And soy sauce is primarily mostly made of water. And it's like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living water. And, and our flesh is like oil. And oil and water don't go together. And so when you put them together, if this works out right, they should separate. Because they are different. They could never be the same. And in our bodies, we have that combination. We have soy sauce and we have oil. And between the two, they will always be in conflict with each other. They can never be one and the same. And, and, and that's, a, that's kind of a good thing. But it's just something they have to realize. They will always be separate. And the main thing is to know that the oil and the soy sauce, the water, will continually push one another from one, from one place to the other, that they can't exist in the same place. So if you want more of the Holy Spirit, it will push out that oil. It will push away the flesh parts. And, and that's what it, Paul is teaching here. In, in, this, in this passage in Galatians 5 about this battle between the flesh and through the spirit, that they will be constantly at each other. And, and those of us who are, are, are that follow Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit in us, and that's a good thing because the Holy Spirit has a fruit. It has a good part that comes only through, through the Holy Spirit. And it says here, that the flesh, let's go through a list of things that, that the flesh has, um, that has attributes, and that's verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Apparently, the, the, the sinful part, the sin nature is, is evident, self-evident. If you see it, you know it. Because Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you look at that long list, and I'm not going to go through each one of them individually. Uh, we don't have time to do that. But if you look at the, the list of things there, just look at it as a group, not, not into the minutia. They're essentially acts that are very selfish, self-centered. And they are behaviors that are destructive to oneself and to others. So looking at that, that, that kind of category of behaviors that are considered sinful, they are ones that are more self-centered and selfish, and they're ones that are just kind of destructive to oneself and to others. So those are things that are considered bad. And then if we look at the, the counter side to that, the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has attributes that counter all that good, the bad stuff. That if you look at the list of the attributes of the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, just let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if you look at those, those attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, those are things that are meant to counter that list of bad things. Now, it's kind of interesting here in, in the translation, the word fruit, 
Is it plural or is it single, singular? Fruit is a word that's kind of unique in that it, it's, it can be plural in, in, in fruit, in, in its uses as fruit, or it can also be plural in the usage of fruits, of adding an S to it. Um, if you read different uh, teachers and, and commentaries, they talk about uh, the fruit of the spirit, right? And that's what's mentioned here. And in the most translations, it, the word is fruit. So um, it can interpret, you can interpret it as, is it fruit singular or is it fruit plural? I prefer using it as singular because uh, some teachers like to teach that there are nine fruits of the Holy Spirit because there's nine attributes. I prefer to use those, those that there's one fruit and uh, that there are nine attributes versus there's the fruits of the spirit and there are nine fruits. And the reason is, is when I think of one fruit, it's less confusing because a lot of times um, there is a, a teaching that has, that you can work on any of those nine fruits. That if you're, it, it allows, if I don't have one of those fruits, it's okay, I got eight out of nine, right? But I don't think that's correct. I think the proper way to think of this is when you have the Holy Spirit, you have all of him. You don't have just one part of him. You have all of the Holy Spirit. The all nine attributes of the Holy Spirit are within every believer. That when you accept Jesus Christ, you get the Holy Spirit. And you get all nine attributes. Every one of them. And so they may not manifest strongly in you, but you got all nine of them. And I think if you go with the fruits of the Spirit, nine fruits of the Spirit, it leaves room that people say, well, I don't have that one. I don't have to work on that one. I don't believe that that's good. So, so that's my, my thinking on, my take on it, that, that I believe that the proper way to look at this would be that we have the fruit of the Spirit. And through the fruit of the Spirit, we have all nine of those attributes. And having all nine of those attributes... It's important. If you look at them, they're kind of nine. They're grouped into three categories. The first three being love, joy, peace. Those are gifts from God. You get love, joy, peace from God. They're immediately given to you as gifts from him uh, through the Holy Spirit. Next three, forbearance, kindness, goodness. Those three, that, that category, are ones that help us in, in, in our relationships with other people to help us to have God-honoring God relationships, to have forbearance, other translations call it patience. When you have patience, kindness, and goodness, those things, those attributes from the Holy Spirit help us in our relationships with other people, right? And then the third category of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that, that group of, of attributes of the Holy Spirit help us to have an abiding relationship with God. It helps us when we demonstrate those attributes of being able to, to relate to God. When we are faithful, when we are gentle and we have self-control, it allows us to be better Christians, to, better, to be better uh, people uh, with God. And the only way you can get any of these things, and this is the thing that, that, that often uh, we try to ask people is now work on this attribute, work on that attribute. You actually can't do it. Um, these attributes are not of our doing. The Holy Spirit has to do 
his work in us to be able to have those attributes. So there's no human effort that's going to be able to do this. The one human effort we can do is to abide in Christ, right? In the book of John, Jesus talks about that, right? About the, the vine and the branches bearing good fruit. And you can only have that when he said, abide in me. So when we spend time with Jesus, when we get to know Jesus, that's the only way that the Holy Spirit then can help give us those nine attributes. So I think it's a, a, a wrong teaching. Uh, it's a wrong way to view this by saying, oh, I'll work on my patience. I'll work on my kindness. It doesn't work that way. That's a human kindness. That's a human patience. But the kind of patience that we're talking about, the kind of faithfulness, the love, joy, peace that we're talking about, that can only come through supernatural power, through the Holy Spirit. And we look at these things, just an example, like one of those, the acts of the flesh that, that the attribute of the Holy Spirit counteracts. Just for example, if you look at this listing there, idolatry and witchcraft is one of the, the sins of the flesh. And that's countered by the, one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit, and that's faithfulness. So you can go through um, that on your own time. You can look at the listing of the sins, and they're countered by a particular attribute of the Holy Spirit. So my question, which attribute do you want to see more in your life? There are nine of them. Now, I'm saying that you can't work on one in particular, but you can wish for to see more one of the attributes in your own life. And it's not to work on it more, but to ask, pray for God's help, for the Holy Spirit to be more active in you. Because they said it's one or all. It's, it's just like soy sauce and, and, and oil. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, more of the soy sauce, more of the water, then ask for it and God will give it to you. And then that way you can have more of those, those attributes evident in your life. And it's because we have those attributes we'll be able to love others. And you can imagine if you have all nine of those attributes, you can see how that will be helpful in your witness to other people. And that's attractive. To have all those attributes is something that is good and is meant to be good. Now, there is a warning if, if we do not keep in step with the gospel and with the spirit. And that's what Paul is telling the early church. In verse 26 and verse 15, let us not become conceited, provoking, envying each other. In verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. That when we are not keeping in step, we are at war with, one each, with each other. We will be arguing, fighting, judging, pointing fingers. And that's not what kind of life God wants us to have. He intends us to have a life that is full of the Spirit. And none of that arguing, bickering, disharmony is what is intended and is possible. And when we find ourselves doing that, then we're moving more closer to the oil side of us versus the soy sauce side. So look in yourselves and see if you're doing that. And, and, and if that's not what you want to be like, then press into the Holy Spirit. That's the life that God intended for us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a new year. It's a year that we have a new beginning. 
an opportunity to restart. Two things I, I mentioned that we would like us all to keep in mind is to keep in step, to be in rhythm, be in rhythm with God. And the two ways that we can do that is to keep in step with the gospel, to understand the true unembellished gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross, and all we have to do is believe in him, and we can have that grace and love and mercy that he offers. And the second thing is to keep in step with the Spirit, because our life here, if we depend on our own abilities, is fruitless. To have good fruit, to be able to love others and love God, we need more of the Holy Spirit in us. So discover that, abide in him, and then we'll be able to keep in step with the Spirit. Freedom in, freedom in Christ, that is what God intends for us. Jesus came to free us, and he did. And that kind of freedom allows us to keep in step, to have a wonderful life. And that's our, our wish, and that's my desire for all of us. So let's pray. Father God, we are uh, here beginning a new year. I pray, Lord, that you would help walk with us, refine us, guide us, correct us, rebuke us, um, help us to understand what it means to have a wonderful life. And what I can see from the scripture, it means to, to abide in you, to, to have the Holy Spirit do its work, its wonderful work in all of us. So may we continue to keep in step with that, to know that uh, there is love, joy, peace that comes from you as we, uh, be, uh, as we are faithful to abide in you. So we thank you. God bless all those who are here in this new year. So we thank you in Jesus' name.